Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life, so we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at www.christchapelcollege.org and on Instagram at Christ Chapel College. Man, thanks, gal. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Pretty good. All right, let's go. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians uh, 15. We'll be hanging out there. Uh, so we are in uh, the final week of a series that we're calling Church Hurt. And if you're just now uh, jumping in with us, the basic idea is we're kind of wanting to process through some of the different ways that, that we can be hurt or wounded by uh, church leaders or church people. Um, there's just kind of all these different ways that we've kind of been hurt in the past by people associated with the church. And so um, in week one, we talk, talked about this idea of people mishandling the Word of God and using the Word of God not to, to build life, but to manipulate or push an agenda and, and, and kind of all these weird kind of hurtful things that come from someone just not knowing how to handle the Word of God. In week two, we talked about hypocrisy and, and this idea of people just not practicing what they preach. Um, and today we're, we're going to finish up by talking about um, some, something that I get really excited about, and it's the idea that, that some of the baggage that we have about the church comes from getting bad answers to good questions. Right, we, we get bad answers to good questions, meaning that um, we believe some pretty crazy stuff, right? Like um, we should all, as followers of Christ, we should have legitimate questions about why we believe what we believe, right? Um, in fact, if you've never had questions about your faith, that means that either you don't follow Christ or uh, you've only been following Christ for a minute because you opened the word of God and there's some crazy stuff in there. Like we believe some crazy things, right? There's all these miracles. There's uh, this, this idea that Jesus was born of a... Um, a virgin, right? And if you're not totally sure how that works, ask a nursing uh, student and they'll just explain it to you. It's uh, complicated, but um, right, there, there's all these things that we just kind of believe. Um, and, and oftentimes we hear that and we think, okay, if, if this is what kind of our faith hinges on. Like, explain this to me. There's some, there's some crazy stuff in the Word of God, right? Um, ultimately, the, the biggest one being that our faith hinges on this idea of a resurrection. Right, that Jesus was dead, and then all of a sudden he stopped being dead. Right, like that's a crazy claim. Right, and I think that what can happen is that over the years, like if you've had legitimate questions, one of kind of the, um, the sad ways that 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 the church handles questions is off, off, oftentimes we just say, hey, you know, have more faith, just believe more. Right, and, and maybe somewhere along the way, like you've kind of felt this kind of wound because you had legitimate questions, good questions. And when you just brought it up to people who might know, they just kind of shy away or they give you a bad answer or they don't answer it at all. Or they, they say, hey, like, stop asking, just have faith, just believe. And the reality is our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is not a, a faith that we just kind of turn a blind eye to all these questions. Like we have actual legitimate answers and beliefs for why we believe the things that we uh, believe. And so maybe if that's your story, one, I just want to say, like, I'm so sorry that that's kind of been your experience. I know a lot of people kind of navigate the Christian world, and they're just so, um, so frustrated because we just seem like we're so uh, anti-intellectual um, that we don't actually know why we believe. It's just what we grew up hearing, and we just don't ever question it. And the reality is, I think if we want to be followers of Christ, we should absolutely know why we believe what we believe. 
We should absolutely ask hard questions. We are not afraid of hard questions here, right? Um, and so if that's kind of been your, your experience, that you have bad answers to good questions, then I'm so sorry. So today, here's how I want to spend our time. I want to spend our time talking about uh, the answers to what I think is the most important question we could possibly ask as a follower of Christ. Right? The most important question, the, the question that our whole faith hinges on, and it's this. Did Jesus actually come back to life? Did he actually come back to life? Did he actually resurrect? Because if he didn't, like, we're wasting our time. Right? In fact, Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that if Jesus did not come back to life, we are to be pitied above all. He says if this resurrection didn't actually happen, we are fools. We are wasting your time because you and I could be at brunch right now. Right? Like, this is a lame hobby if he did not rise from the dead. Like, I've missed out on so many chicken and waffles because of Jesus, right? And I'm going to be so upset, right, if this isn't true, right? But the reality is we believe that this actually happened. And so I want us to talk about why, right? Like, like how do we actually know? Because the reality is there are good answers to good questions. And so I want us to just kind of spend today talking about the most important question that we could ask, um, and that is, did Jesus actually come back to life, because if we didn't, uh, man, then we are wasting our time. Um, so before we dive, dive in, let me just say, if you are uh, new or if you're in here and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Christ, you're like, man, I'm just here, a friend dragged me here, or uh, I'm just kind of curious, I'm checking it out. One, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, like, I'm honestly so, so stoked. Uh, we hope that, the, that this is a place where you can kind of come and rest and ask questions and wrestle. Um, but man, my hope today is that maybe you begin to slowly get um, some answers to some of the questions that you have, because uh, we honestly believe there are really good answers to um, the questions that we have. So anyway, let's answer this uh, kind of big overarching question of, man, did Jesus actually come back to life? And let's start by seeing what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. It says this. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which, which I received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Says, for I delivered to you as a first importance, meaning like the most important thing, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. All right, stop right there. So what Paul does is Paul starts off by, by, by saying, all right, here is, this is his kind of summation of what the gospel is. He says, this is the most important thing that I could possibly tell you, the thing of first importance, that Christ uh, lived, that he died, that he came back to life, right? That he died for our sins, that he became the, the, the kind of substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, and that he didn't just die, he didn't stay dead, but he actually came back to life, that he resurrected on the third day. Now, again, that's a crazy claim, right? Like, like in, in any certain point in human history, like that's a crazy claim. It's like, I feel like in this kind of pre-Christian context that Paul is in, um, there is a lot more um, spirituality, like the Roman culture was kind of pantheistic. They had all these kind of gods and they were more spiritual where we tend to be a little less spiritual, right? But it wasn't like people were just getting resurrected all the time. It's not like, oh yeah, cool, another resurrection. No, like it was still crazy, right? And Paul knows that this is a crazy claim. This is an absolutely ridiculous claim to base your whole life on, to base your whole faith on. And so Paul goes on to kind of give some evidence for why he has the audacity to say that Jesus rose from the grave. Check out verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, 
and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then he appeared to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. All right, so what Paul just said is, hey, our whole faith, the gospel depends on this idea that Jesus died for your sins and then he came back to life. And I know that's nuts. I know that's bizarre. I know that's crazy, but don't take it from me. Peter saw him and James saw him and I saw him and the apostles saw him and 500 other people, most of whom are still alive, saw him. Ask him about it. Right? Like, like, Paul, like Paul acknowledges, like, like, like this is nuts. This is crazy. But I saw him and I can't, argue with the fact that I saw him, and, and, and Peter saw him, and James saw him, and the 12 saw him. And, but, but again, 500 people, like 500 people saw him. Go ask them. They're still here. They can tell you. Right? Paul is so confident because there are people walking around like, dude, I legitimately saw Jesus alive. I saw him resurrected with my own eyes. Right? Like he is absolutely convinced that this actually happened. Now, for us, we kind of hit a problem here, Right? Because these people are no longer alive, right? Like, we can't go ask these people. They are long gone, right? And so we don't have these kind of eyewitness accounts, um, except for Scripture. Um, but we, we don't have kind of living eyewitness accounts to just kind of say, hey, so explain it to me. What did you see? Are you sure it was him? Did it look like him? Was it maybe not him, right? Like, like we can't ask those questions, right? So, so for us, the question becomes, what kind of evidence do we have that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Like, what um, can we kind of hang our hat on and say, all right, this is, this is concrete evidence, um, even outside of Scripture, that, that proves that Jesus actually came back to life? I think that's a great, great question. It's an important question. Um, so I'm going to get a little nerdy, if that's okay. Um, and I want to kind of create or like kind of show you guys some kind of extra biblical evidence for, for why we believe that J- Jesus actually came back to life. Now, um, something that, that every single person on the planet has to come to terms with is that scholars across the board, uh, Christian or non-Christian, all believe three things. All historians believe three specific things about Christ. Um, one is that Jesus was a real person. Um, two, uh, do, do, do we have slides, guys? Um, one, that he was a real, a real person. Two, that he was killed by the Romans around AD 30 to AD 33. And that three... The tomb was empty on the third day, right? All scholars, Christian or non-Christian, believe these three things, that Jesus was a real person, that he existed, that he was killed by the Romans around AD 30, and that the tomb was empty three days later, right? Everyone agrees on those three things. So the question becomes, what happened to the body, right? If everyone believes across the board that the tomb was empty, the question that every single person on the planet has to have an answer to or at least think about is what happened to the body. Now, as believers, we believe that he was resurrected, right? that he came back to life and then ascended to be with the Father, right? But again, that's a crazy claim. So, so people have, for centuries, tried to kind of figure out right, what actually happened. And so, so there are three kind of primary theories or ideas on what actually happened to the body of Christ. And so I want to kind of break those down for you. Um, the first is called the swoon theory the swoon theory. Um, and the swoon theory is, is um, admittedly the, the least believable theory and the least believed theory across the board because the swoon theory says this. The swoon theory says that Jesus didn't actually die, but he fainted on the cross. And when he was put in the tomb, the coolness of the tomb revived him and he got up and walked out of the tomb. 
which is the most implausible theory of all, and I'll tell you why. One, the Romans were perfectionists at crucifying people. Like, no one knew how to crucify people like the Romans. Like, they were experts at, like, like they don't let someone not die on the cross, right? And two, even if he did faint, the crucifixion is the most barbaric thing that even if you survived being crucified, you're not waking up, rolling the stone away, and convincing your followers that you just defeated death. You're just not doing it, right? So um, crucifixion, just a brief explanation. Um, when you get convicted and, and, and you get sent to be crucified, it starts off with something called the scourging. And the scourging um, is where they take this, uh, this long whip with multiple kind of leather uh, straps to it. But woven into the leather straps are metal, bone, and wood. And they take this whip and they beat you with it 39 times. So not just being, being whipped, but every single time that the whip hits your back, the bone and the wood act as claws to just kind of pull your flesh off of your body. It's gruesome. And most people don't survive the scourging. Most people never make it to the cross because that is such a toll on the human body, right? But Jesus actually survives the scourging. It says so in the Gospels, right? So he, so he survives this uh, scourging, and then he has to then take this kind of horizontal beam of the cross and kind of put it on his back and walk up the hill to where he is crucified, right? But the Gospels say that he is so weak from being scourged that, that they have to pull some guy named Simon out of the crowd to kind of take the beam up there for him. Right? So, so as soon as they walk up to the hill, they lay this cross out, right? and you lay down on the cross, and they drive these, these nails that are about seven to nine inches long through your median nerve right here in your wrists. Right? So like, uh, imagine kind of you know, hitting your funny bone, right? but having a nail driven through that nerve. Right? Absolutely pain, painful. And then, and then they go down to your feet, and they drive that same nail through your feet. And when they lift the cross up, what happens is that you hang in the, um, in the exhale position. So, so it, it is all like just kind of pushing out, right? And so in order for you to breathe, you, you have to push yourself up on the nail that's driven through your feet to gasp for breath until the tarsal bones in your feet lock and you have to slump back down. And that's how you breathe. And the whole point is to make you suffocate on the cross. And so you were just going up and down, again, this kind of bare exposed back rubbing against the coarse grain of the wood on the cross. And if you don't die quick enough, the Romans come by and they take this, this kind of steel pipe and they break your leg so that you can't push yourself up anymore. And eventually you suffocate. I tell you that, one, because that's what Christ did for us. That's what our sin cost him. But two, I tell you that because... No one's walking away from that. Even if for some reason he did faint, you're not being revived by the coolness of the tomb and then walking out and convincing your followers that you just conquered death. No, you look bloodied and beaten and just absolutely destroyed. Right? So crucifixion was absolutely barbaric, and you're not just walking away from that. Right? So the swoon theory, in my opinion, is not true. The next theory is called this. It's called the wrong tomb, tomb theory. And the wrong tomb theory says that the women who discovered the empty tomb just missed it, just went to the wrong, wrong tomb, right? And so the whole idea is that they just went to the wrong tomb and that they thought that it was empty, but lo and behold, wrong, wrong place, right? Um, now, obviously, 
so many people in the city could have easily said, oh, let's go check. Specifically, Joseph of Arimathea, who owned the tomb, could have easily kind of pointed which one was actually his, right? Um, so, so that's pretty um, debunkable, right? So that's kind of, kind of a, a lesser belief theory too, right? But side note, again, one of the reasons why I believe the resurrection actually happened is because in first century Middle Eastern times, the testimony of a woman wasn't admissible in court, right? Women were kind of viewed as these kind of second-class citizens so, so that if, um, if there was a murder and the only eyewitness was a woman, you would walk away free because her testimony wasn't valid in the court of law, right? So if you are going to base your entire faith off the testimony of a woman or women, you wouldn't do that unless that's how it actually happened. Because no one's believing that story. No one is going to kind of hang their whole faith on the testimony of women that wasn't even admissible in a court of law. Right? And so even in, in Christ coming and, and resurrecting and showing himself to women first, this is just one of those kind of beautiful things where Christ continues to elevate the status of women. Right? And it's crazy because if you're making this up, you don't hang this on the testimony of women unless it actually happened. And that's where our testimony initially comes from. But that these women came to the tomb to take care of the body, and lo and behold, the tomb is empty and Jesus was alive. So that's the wrong tomb theory. Last, last theory is this. It's called the stolen body theory. Um, and the stolen body theory is, is actually the most kind of widely believed theory. And the stolen body theory is the idea that the uh, disciples um, came in at night and they stole the body of Christ and they hid him. And then they kind of spread this massive uh, story about Jesus coming back from the dead. And they kind of created this whole new faith system. Um, and, and this is actually the, the story that's kind of been coming around since the very, very uh, beginning. So Matthew 28 actually says this in verse 11. It's up on the screen, I think. It says this. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests and all that had taken place, meaning they told, told him about this resurrection. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this very day. Right? So, so from the very beginning, that was the story that was being, being spread. And that's still one of the kind of main theories that the disciples kind of snuck in at night, stole his body, and then kind of created this whole revolution based on the story that he resurrected. Now, there's one primary problem with that theory. You don't die the deaths that the disciples died for a lie right? Um, if you read the Gospels, the disciples of Christ were the most cowardly, dysfunctional bunch of bros you've ever met in your entire life. I mean, just over and over, like all, like they're just morons in every single story that we see, right? In fact, um, Peter, right before Jesus gets uh, arrested, kind of has this big, grand, give me liberty, give me death style speech, right? And then the minute that a middle school girl around a campfire asks him if he knows who Jesus is, he just denies it altogether, right? I mean, dude is just a coward, right? There's this, this other story of a guy who um, someone grabs him, and he just legitimately runs out of his clothes. Like, I mean, just runs away buck naked because he's just like, I just can't let anyone know that I know who Christ is, right? And so over and over, there's all these stories about how the disciples, they're, they're just cowards. 
But then overnight, overnight, something changes. And if you read the book of Acts, what you see is these people that once upon a time were bold and or that were cowardly and just dysfunctional, overnight became bold. Overnight became brave. Overnight went toe-to-toe with the Roman Empire over this claim that Jesus was alive. These men who just all of a sudden were just so punk rock in the way that they were just going about spreading the gospel. I mean, I mean, these dudes look drastically different. Why? Because they saw Jesus alive. There was this complete 180 in who they were. They went from cowards to being bold because they saw him alive. And they all went on to die these absolutely horrendous deaths, specifically for their belief in the resurrection. So um, these aren't actually in a scripture. All of these are kind of extra-biblical historical accounts of uh, how these guys died. But, but let me just read to you the types of deaths that the 12 apostles died specifically for their belief in the resurrection. Andrew was crucified, and we just learned how that goes. Philip was crucified. Jude was crucified. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Peter was crucified but upside down. James, the brother of John, was beheaded. Thomas was speared by Roman soldiers. Matthew was stabbed in the back. Um, Historians disagree about Bartholomew, but they they agree that he was either crucified or skinned alive and then beheaded. And lastly, James, the brother of Jesus, which on a side note, um, again, one of the crazy evidences that we have that Jesus actually came back to life is that his own brother believed that he was God in the flesh. Right? Like, have you ever tried to convince a sibling that you are God in the flesh? I've tried multiple times. It, it, it doesn't work, right? Like, it's really, really hard. Yet, James, despite the fact that all throughout Scripture, there's, there's all these stories about James thinking that Jesus was out of his ever-loving mind. I mean, James, like, legitimately thought that Jesus was crazy and then overnight believed that his brother was the son of God. Why? Because he saw him alive, and he led this phenomenal church preaching, and he wrote this entire book where the first line of his book, is he, he says, James, a servant of my Lord Jesus Christ. And his own brother believed that he was God, right? And James, at 94 years old, was beaten and then stoned before they hit him in the head with a club. At 94 years old, preaching the resurrection. You don't die those types of deaths for a lie. You just don't, right? If I stub my toe, I'm out for a week, right? Like, I'm, like, I'm a baby. Like, you throw one rock at me, I'm like, all right, I, I, I don't believe any of it, right? Like, like, that's, like, that's how it works. But these guys, like, they're experiencing these crazy, crazy just beatings and stonings and, and, and beheadings and crucifixions when all they had to do is say, I'm, I'm just joking. It's all a lie. We stole the body. Yet they all went to their graves believing, declaring proudly that Jesus is alive. Right? You don't steal a body, tell a story, and then die of the types of deaths that they died. You, you just don't. Now, what does all that mean for us? It means that the evidence... <laughs> weighs in the favor that Jesus most definitely came back to life. That Jesus is alive. And that has two major implications for us. One is this. 
One is that you're not crazy if you believe this. You're not. Like, like you're not crazy. And there are moments in time when, when I think that when we look at our faith, it's so easy to think, man, am I an idiot? Like, like am I just deceived? Have, have I bought into some kind of weird cultish thing? Like, am, am I absolutely crazy? And your friends might think it. Your professors might think it. Your family might think it, right? This, this, this idea, like, am I hanging my life on this idea of a resurrection? Am I absolutely out of my mind? Like, I'm a pastor. I get paid to believe in Jesus. And there are moments I wake up and I think, am I an idiot? I'm not quite sure, right? But the reality is that, man, the evidence leans so in favor that the resurrection actually happened. Because we have to, have to answer the question, what happened to the body? And everything that the world has tried to come up with to explain it away, it falls short. Right? And so you're not crazy. You're not crazy. In fact, um, Simon Greenleaf was a Harvard history professor in the 1840s and 50s. And he wrote um, a book. It's actually called the, uh, let me make sure I get this right. It's called The Treatise on the Law of Evidence. And it was the book on evidence in law schools for, for almost 100 years. He was the guy that really developed the modern system of you know, collecting and um, kind of understanding evidence, right? He was also an outspoken atheist. And so one day, um, a few of his students walked up to him and said, hey, um, we think you are absolutely brilliant, uh, and we aren't trying to start anything, um, but we believe uh, that Jesus actually rose from the grave. Um, would you be willing to use your book and, and use your kind of uh, methodology on collecting evidence to prove that he did not come back to life. And he's like, absolutely, I would. And he became a believer. Because, and not, and not just a believer, he became one of the greatest apologists, most, the greatest defender of our faith in his time in history because he looked at the evidence available. And using his own methodology, the book that was like, the, for 100 years, was the book on collecting evidence that said, if this was a court of law, like, Jesus came back to life. Like, I'm sorry. Like, the evidence is so in favor of the resurrection, it's crazy. It's off the charts, right? And so the reality is, like, we are not crazy. If you believe, if you put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, like, you're, you're, you're not crazy. There's actual, like, historical evidence. There's good ideas supporting why you believe what you believe. The second is this. The second reason why this is so important. If the resurrection is real then the effects of the resurrection are also real. Meaning, if Jesus actually rose from the grave, if he actually conquered sin and death, that's incredible. Because the whole gospel story is this idea that, that our sin separates us from God, and what we need is someone to kind of step in and pay the penalty for our sin. And from the very beginning, from, from the garden, the penalty for sin has always been death. It's always been something or someone has to die when sin is committed. And the beauty of what Christ has done is he's, he's coming and he says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die that death in your place. I'm going to die that death for you. But he didn't just die. He rose from the grave. And in rising from the grave, he conquered the power of sin and death forever. And now he has ascended at the right hand of God interceding for you and I. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our guilt or our shame or our sin he sees the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And Jesus is at his right hand saying, hey, I covered that. That's my boy. That's my girl. Like, I, like, I paid for that. 
And there's coming a day when he's going to return and make all things new and redeem and restore this world that's been plagued and broken by sin. So if the resurrection actually happened, then it means that all the effects of the resurrection are also real. That all those things, all the things that we, we believe about, kind of God's story of redeeming and restoring the world, they're all based on the resurrection. So, man, my hope today is that you are encouraged, that you will understand that, man, there, there are some legitimate questions. There, there are some really good questions, but the question that we should ask ultimately is, did Jesus actually come back to life? Because if he didn't, then we should all just go home, right? This is a really lame way to spend a Sunday. But if he did come back to life, if the evidence suggests that we serve a God who is actually alive, that changes everything. And it leads to all these other questions. And we're not afraid, afraid of those. And we should ask them. And we should really dive in to understand what our faith is all about. But man, my hope is that you are encouraged that there are good answers to good questions. And if at some point in your faith story, you've just had questions and you've gotten bad, bad answers or you've been told just to have more faith, man, that's really sucky, <laughs> to be honest. So man, if you have questions, good. Ask questions. Read books, like, like dive in, learn, understand. Try to really figure out why you believe what you believe. Utilize our staff as a resource. We would love to just kind of come and sit and talk and just talk real nerdy theology. Like we're all about that life, right? So man, my hope and my prayer today is that um, as we kind of finish this series out, though, you are encouraged to know that you serve a God who is near to you, a God who uh, has gone to great lengths to save you and redeem you and adopt you, but that there's actually answers to the questions that we have. And so may we be people who understand that if Jesus is alive, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. And let's dive in to know more of who he is. Let me pray for us. God, you are good and gracious. Honestly, just so unbelievably kind to us. The fact that um, while we were far from you, while our sins separated us from you, um, you didn't just leave us on our own, but that you sent your son for us, and that through his death and resurrection, we have been made new, our slate has been wiped clean, that when you look at us, you see the holiness of Christ. No more guilt, no more shame. Father, I, I know that that is a, a really difficult truth to believe. It's a really difficult truth to kind of wrap our minds around. But God, my, my hope and my prayer is that you give us the faith to see that as true. To look at all the evidence that you have laid before us and just believe that, God, you are true, you are right, you are good. And the resurrection of your son changes everything about our life. Father, will you encourage us for, for my brothers and sisters in the room who are just exhausted, exhausted and tired and weary and just have so many questions. God, will you sustain them? Will you draw near to them? Will you speak to them? Will you open their eyes and their ears to see you? May the truth of the resurrection change everything about our lives. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.